0: This is God's word. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people. As one of the tribes of Israel, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his, riders, his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad But he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and uh, harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile. By the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the uh, breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the uh, bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a a ravenous wolf. In the morning devouring the prey, And at evening, dividing the spoil. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, so many passages of scripture are mysterious to us. Uh, The Bible is a book of riddles. And uh, as the Proverbs say, it is the glory of God to uh, conceal a thing, to hide truths. And yet it is the glory of kings to search them out. So uh, would you give us your spirit that we may search out your uh, strange passages like this, that they would uh, speak life into us, speak hope into us. And would you use your word to draw us close to you? And I pray for those who are here uh, who don't know you, who don't know your grace. I pray that your spirit would be with them as well, uh, revealing to them uh, who you are through your word. And so we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So, um, we're meditating on Christmas this week. Uh, Jesus, who was God, he's, uh, God, the God who created the world, is a God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the second person of the Trinity, of, the God, of God, the God who is a community, is one God in three persons, came down and became a baby among us. And uh, it is in Christmas that we realize that we meet God in the midst of weakness. Where you meet God, where you come to know God, is in the midst of your weakness. And um, in our culture, we imagine that what an abundant life is, a full life, a life that's satisfying, is a life of strength, a life of competence a life of knowing what I'm doing, things feel under control, um, confidence. That's, what, that's how we uh, approach life. That's what we imagine an abundant life is. But in Christmas, when we find out that God became a baby in a poor family, in a manger, we find out that we don't meet God in the place of strength, but in the place of weakness. Jesus did not come to the competent, he didn't, uh, he didn't come to the physically attractive. He did not come to the rich. He did not come to the powerful. He came to the poor, to the marginalized, to those who had nothing, who were not confident, who didn't know how to live in this world, who didn't have resources for living in this world. And he himself actually came in weakness. He Actually, Isaiah tells us that he was physically unattractive. Right? This is what Isaiah 53 says. He had no form or majesty that, that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus and Christmas came in weakness to the weak. And if you want to meet God, you must meet him in your weakness. Now, uh, this is an important point. If you were here last week, we looked at the, uh, the prophecy of the son Judah. And uh, last week we talked about how when Jesus came, Jesus is the true king of the world. And what Jesus is coming to do is he's coming to heal our individual souls, but he's also coming to bring the obedience of all the people of all the nations. He's going to bring all the nations of the world together. And he's already begun to do that. So that there's billions of people from around the world who are already worshiping and following him. And, and eventually, he's actually going to come and, and, and um, heal the whole creation. And so when we hear a story of, like, of Christians saying, yes, we believe Jesus is the king, he's the savior, he's, uh, everyone owes their obedience to him, the image is one of power. Here's a man who knows what he's doing, he's, and, and we imagine that how God's kingdom is then going to come is triumphal, victorious, everyone just flocking to Jesus. Every, you know, it's clear that this is the truth. And you know what, what happens is that Christians often feel that way about our own faith. We think, listen, we have the words of God. We have the truth. And we're tempted to think that that makes us feel powerful or even superior to other people because we have God's truth. We're God's people. And yet uh, the reality is um, what Christmas teaches us is that when the king came, he is the king of the weak, the lowly, the humble, and the broken. And um, we can only meet him, uh, and only if we meet him in a manger can we meet him at all. If we are willing to meet him in weakness, that's where we can meet God. Um, now, this truth that God's people are the weak and not the triumphant and powerful of the world um, actually shows up in this obscure passage I just read to you. Some of you, I read that and you said, what, I have no idea what this is talking about. I really, you, some of you might have said, I didn't understand one word, of that whole passage, of what, what it was referring to. Um, but what is happening here is Joseph is telling the future of God's people. God has chosen this nation, Israel, to be a light to the world. And he's chosen them. And now he's, he's kind of foretelling what's going to happen in their lives. And the thing that happens is you hear these prophecies about these tribes, and these people are incredibly unremarkable. There's, you read that, and it's actually not interesting what's going to happen to them. The, the, the qualities about them are, are just things that we say, is this, how does this relate to my life? How is this inspiring? How am I going to learn from this? And, um, and the significance of this passage is that God has chosen these men... And their families after them. And he says, These men who are unremarkable, who are weak, and actually have filled with flaws and problems, these are the kinds of people that I've chosen to build my kingdom through. And when he chooses people that are unremarkable to build his kingdom, what does that do? Those people don't show the world how great we are. It shows the world that God is incredibly wise, He's incredibly good, He's incredibly loving that he can go down to the very weakest in the world and use them to build his kingdom. Those are his chosen ones. And uh, weak ones like Jacob's sons and weak ones like us. Um, So to balance out kind of this tremendous optimism that we last last week, if you were here last week, that Jesus is drawing all the nations to himself that feels so triumphant, to balance that out, we're going to see that actually Jesus comes in weakness. And there's tremendous hope for us in that. And we see that in Christmas and we see that in this passage. So this morning I want to just highlight two simple things about the Christian life. What is life with Jesus about? The Christian life is about, first of all, embracing our weakness. The Christian life begins by embracing, coming to terms with, accepting that we are in fact weak. But second, after we've embraced our weakness, the Christian life is also about embracing, then, God's blessing. We realize that we're weak, and then we're in a position where we can actually receive God's blessing and his grace to us. Okay, so those are the two things we're looking at. First, the Christian life is about embracing our weakness. Now, what does it mean to embrace our weakness? And uh, there are three kinds of weakness that we see in God's people in these verses. Three ways in which we are weak, that we just need to come to terms with, that we're human, and this is, what it, this is, what, this is a part of the human life. The first is this. We are weak because we're fragile. We are weak because we're fragile. We live in a world that is, first of all, we live in a, in a humanity that is, is cursed. in rebellion against God, and so we're defenseless. There are many things in the world that will hurt us, that will bruise us, that will take advantage of us, that we are defenseless to. And as much as we want to say, I'm strong, no one's going to hurt me, I'm invincible, the Bible says we're not invincible. And that's a part of the reality of our weakness. And you see this, first of all, um, in verse 14 with Issachar. Issachar is a strong donkey. Now, Interesting word there, okay? He's a a donkey. Uh, Actually, a number of the brothers are animals. They get named kind of an animal. So he's a strong donkey. But what that means for him is he's kind of the guy who's the big buff guy who does a lot of work, you know, but he's kind of a workhorse. And you'd think he'd be really intimidating, right? You'd think, wow, that guy's big. He's got muscles. He works hard. And this is kind of how this whole tribe, what this whole tribe is like. But then it goes on. Crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Now what this is talking about is Issachar, the tribe that came from Issachar, when they went into the Promised Land, God had given all the tribes a little plot of land within Canaan in the Promised Land. And he goes in, and it turns out Issachar has this plot of land that they can have, that they can take hold of. But then they say, you know, this land is beautiful, but we don't want to disrupt anything here. We want to just be at peace. So tell you what, to the people who are living there, we'll become your servants. We'll become your slaves if you just let us live here. Issachar is a big, strong guy, but he cannot assert himself. They cannot assert himself. This is a whole group of people among God's people who are essentially doormats. And they let people walk all over them, and they go in and they say, you know what, I don't want to uh, ruffle anyone's feathers, I don't want to disrupt anything, and so I'm going to let people walk all over me all the time. You see this big, this big man who is fragile. And um, some of you can relate and this this whole tribe um, maybe it's hard for you to uh, assert yourself uh, to speak your mind and actually that 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 sense of feeling kind of fragile around people weak around people uh, is something maybe you feel ashamed about you feel powerless and uh, and maybe you know maybe that's something that's come from your family that you grew up in a family where you were told over and over again uh, you're, you're going to amount to nothing. You can do nothing. It's beating you down into your place. And uh, let me just, you know, I just a couple weeks ago, I was meeting with a pastor from, a, he was a pastor of a large church in the Midwest. He's a professor. Brilliant man. He's accomplished much in his life. And he was telling me that when he grew up, he, he's calculated that he thinks it was about 10,000 lectures he heard from his father that you will amount to nothing. You are worth nothing over and over again, that was his whole childhood. It's basically what he remembers from his childhood is this repeated lecture over and over from his father, just beating beat down. That's the kind of world we live in. That's a reality of the weakness that we need to embrace is that, we, that we're fragile and we're not invincible. And the thing about that, though, is that here's God and he's saying this is the group of people that I want to build my kingdom through. And many of us who feel that sense of how fragile we are, we don't walk into the world strong and invincible, we don't feel that invincible power, is that God, um, that does not disqualify you in God's kingdom or in his purposes or in his plans or his affections or his attention. And many of us, the shame that we feel is it says, it says you know, how, how's God going to be excited about me? And yet here is God's chosen people. And this, this is not just the case way back in Genesis. This is obviously the case with, uh, with Jesus' disciples. And the disciples, the, you know, here's 12, 12 brothers that God chose back in Genesis, and now there's going to be 12 disciples, and they were the same way. They were in many ways incompetent, and yet God chose them, and Jesus befriended them, and he loved them, and he drew them near to himself. And, um, and this is the other thing t- to realize, that God loves the fragile, the weak who are fragile. And one of the reasons we know this is because Jesus himself became fragile. And that's an amazing thing. The God who made the world, who formed you know, solar systems and galaxies, who holds together the universe, became a man who needed to be taught how to speak and how to walk. And he needed a mother to feed him. He himself became fragile. So God identifies with the fragile. So first of all, um, we are weak. Because we're fragile. And there's, there's a coming to terms with that. And accepting that. That we're not invincible. But second. We are also weak. Because we're fallen. We're weak because we're fallen. And um, one of the things that happens. Is that when we become Christians. When we become a part of God's people. It, we're still sinners. You know one of the things. Uh, Ruth got baptized today. God put his washing water on her. And yet she's still going to sin. She still has sin that she has to deal with. She's got great parents, great family she's going to grow up in, and yet there's still going to be sin in her life, and that's true for all of us, and this is an important thing for us to realize. When we come into God's family, God is not afraid or surprised by the fact that we are sinners. Do you know that? That God is not surprised by the fact that you're a sinner. You think, oh, God must be so shocked that I'm still struggling with this after all these years. He's not. He knew you were a sinner. He knew you were going to sin your whole life until you die to go be with him. He knew that, and he still wanted you to be his. And throughout the Bible, throughout church history, and, and, and just even in our church, God's people are made up of, of people who are truly sinful. And we see this with Dan. Look at verse 16. Dan shall judge his people. As one of the tribes of Israel, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper in the path that bites the horses he... Heels so that the rider falls backward. Now, what this is talking about is Dan was uh, a tribe. When the, when the 12 tribes of Israel came into the Promised Land, Dan actually didn't get a plot of land. And so they were kind of this homeless people, and they became like these guerrilla warriors that were going around, and they, uh, there's a story in, uh, in Judges chapter 18. It's a terrible story about Dan. And this is, these are God's chosen people, and they go into this, this helpless people in uh, Laish, and it says to a people, quiet and unsuspecting. And they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. There's this vicious people that they're, they're identified with a serpent who is hiding out and, and snaps out at you. And this is a part of God's people. And God does not reject them and throw them out right in the beginning. He knows the reality of their anger And uh, he is willing to make up his kingdom as a part... uh, He's going to make up his kingdom out of sinners. And you know, there's... This is true with other of the brothers. Gad, Gad is this kind of contentious uh, brother. His tribe is always fighting against other nations. Asher is this uh, rich, they got this rich plot of land, and, uh, and so they have, God has blessed them with all these riches, and we find out later in Judges that when there's this great battle and the people of God are being attacked, they just say, you know, we don't want anything to do with it. We've got our comfortable life and we're going to ignore you. There's real sin, there's real selfishness within the people of God. And um. And the reason why this is important is because many people will say that the reason I'm not interested in Christianity is because Christians, Christians are hypocrites. You know? Christians are supposed to be living this good life and be good people, and yet I know all these Christians who have all kinds of sin. They have anger. They're judgmental. They do all these, uh, you know, they, they have family problems. Christians get divorces uh, just like non-Christians get divorces. There seems to be nothing different about them. Now... A couple responses to that. What do we say to that when people say that we're hypocrites? Well, actually, I would say, as someone who didn't grow up in the, in the church and uh, grew up outside of the church, and I've been in a number of churches uh, over the, the 15 years that I've been a Christian, my experience actually is that I haven't met a group of people like Christians. I was embraced. I was warmly welcomed. People were generous. They were forgiving with me. People that I had been actually cruel to in school I became a Christian and they, without a thought they welcomed me into their community and gave me friendship I really think that Christians uh, God is at work in Christians but the other answer to that is if someone says listen you Christians are, just as, are sinful just like everyone else what would we say? we'd say of course we are that's why we're here why did we come here? why did we come to church? why did we come to, uh, you know, come to Jesus? It's, because we're, it's not because we're the righteous. It's not because uh, we have these beautiful, exemplary lives. It is because we are desperately in need of God's grace. And we need God's grace. And actually, I was, I was talking to Paul Lewis this week, and he told me a quote, a Tim Keller quote, where Tim Keller says, that the church is not a museum for saints, uh, but a hospital for the sick, for sinners. This is a place for those who don't know how to live, who don't know how to follow God, who don't know how to love others, to come together. And we say, of course there's sin here. What were we expecting? And God is not surprised by that. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I think, you know, also an answer to that, though, is... For many of us who become Christians and we say, you know, I'm continually struggling with the same sin. Maybe you've been struggling with it over and over for many years. The other answer, though, is, you know what? Yeah, I'm still a sinner, but I wish you could see me without Christ. Imagine where I would be without God in my life. I would be even far worse. God has freed me from so many things. He has a tremendous amount of work to do. But look at where I've come. And so that's the answer, is that God knows that part of our weakness is that we are still fallen. We live in a fallen world, and we're a fallen people. We still wrestle um, with sin, and God knows our weakness. So the, uh, the Christian life is about embracing the fact that we're weak, both that we're fragile, also that we're fallen. But third, we are weak because we are finite. We're weak because we're finite. And this, uh, and this, I think, we see in Joseph's life. Look at uh, Joseph, verse, uh, verse uh, 22. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. Now, what this is talking about is comment, you know, a lot of these passages... A lot of commentators don't even know what these are talking about. They're, this is a pretty obscure passage. But most say that one of the things this is referring to is in, pointing back in Joseph's life. So when it says there that, um, that the archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, this is saying that Joseph, Joseph was the one, the brother who was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And he was in slavery and in prison for 12 years. And you imagine that Joseph is sitting in there saying, God, why am I, 12 years, I'm enslaved in a foreign country, I don't know any other Christians around, or any people that love God, or know God, I'm alone, I'm helpless, I don't understand this, and I can't fix the problem. And what he has is a part of our weakness, is that we're simply finite. There are many things that happen in our life that we can't explain, because we're not God. We don't know why certain suffering happens in our life. And there are many problems that come into our life that we simply cannot fix. We want to control our life and say, I can organize everything, I can control everything, but the fact is we're weak and we're finite. We're not God. And we have to embrace the fact that we have limits on what we can do. And um, the beginning of the Christian life is beginning to accept these things, that God wants to build his kingdom through a people who, who are weak. Now part of the question that some of you might ask is, why would God want this for us? Why does God want us to feel fragile, fallen, and finite? Because many of you, you know, those three things, you feel that burden on, on a weekly basis, of a sense of, I feel my weakness. It, it weighs on me heavily. Why would God want me to experience so acutely weakness throughout my life? And there's a couple answers to that. The first is that the purpose of your life is not to show the world how great you are, but how great God is. The purpose, the reason we exist is not to show the world how great we are, but to show the world how great God is. And this is a huge transition. This is the only way that we can accept our weakness. Is to say, When we accept our weakness, we say, well, gosh, if I'm weak and God works through me, the world is going to see that God is incredibly wise. He's incredibly good. He's incredibly patient. He's incredibly you know, generous and kind. My life, if I'm so needy and he's so patient and you know, gives me what I need, it shows the world that he is an amazing and incredible God. And um, uh, Henry Nowen I, I give you a quote from Henry Nowen on page three of your bulletin. And uh, Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest. He, he died in uh, 1996. Who uh, wrote uh, a number of uh, uh, spiritual kind of classics. And uh, now uh, he had a Ph.D. He taught at Harvard and at, at Yale and at Notre Dame. And in the last portion of his life, he decided that God was calling him to work in a community of for the mentally, handle, mentally handicapped. It's called the Lark. And uh, he went and he lived with the mentally handicapped. And one of the things he found is he, you know, he was this big shot. He traveled around. Everyone wanted to come speak at conferences. And you know, he taught at uh, Harvard and Yale and Notre Dame. He just really thought he was smart. He had a lot to offer. And then he went to this community of, of the mentally handicapped. And they could care less that he had taught at Harvard or Yale or Notre Dame. Um, they didn't care what he knew. He did, they didn't care he had a Ph.D. It meant nothing to him. All they cared about was would he be a friend to them. And um, all the things that made him feel competent and strong and secure were just removed. They became unimportant. And uh, this is what, he wrote a book on his, the things he learned about ministry and leadership um, and uh, uh, called In the Name of Jesus. This is what he says, listen to this. Listen to the sense of weakness. Laying down your life, Means making your own faith and doubt, hope and despair, joy and sadness, courage and fear available to others as ways of getting in touch with the Lord of life making our weakness available to others. He says that's what what loving people is. We are not healers. We are not the reconcilers. We are not the givers of life. We are sinful, broken, vulnerable people who need as much care as anyone we care for. That's an amazing statement. Here's a guy with a PhD who's taught at all these big shot schools. He goes to help the mentally handicapped and he says, I'm just as needy as they are. I need people to care for me just as much. I'm just as weak as they are. The mystery of ministry is that we have been chosen to make our own limited and very conditional love the gateway for the unlimited and unconditional love of God. So uh, this first thing is um, that God, when we embrace our weakness, God makes, works through it and makes his power known. He uses that. He wants to work through weak people. It's a part of the gospel. But also, how can we know that if God lives, makes us experience so much weakness, how can we know that God would really love us if he would make us feel so fragile, so finite, so fallen? How can we know that he loves us? And the reason is because the Almighty God himself shared in our weakness when he became a baby. God, and, and see, this is the thing, is we think... That, uh, that our weakness repels God. When you feel weak, that you don't know the answers, that you're wrestling with a sin, um, uh, that your life feels out of control, um, and, and you don't know what to say, like you're not serving God well, all these things we think repel God and push him away from us. They don't. Our weakness draws God's heart and his compassion to us that he wants to come close to us. And we see that in Christmas in that, uh, in that Jesus became... Uh, a weak, poor baby among us. And so the embracing of weaknesses is most famously taught by the Apostle Paul this is in 2 Corinthians 12. This is what he says. But Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now listen to what he says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I will see, he celebrates his weakness because it's in his weakness where he meets God. It's not in his strength where he meets God. It's in his weakness. So he actually celebrates his weaknesses because it throws him to Christ so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I am content with weaknesses. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, I know God, and I am with him, and I am depending on him, and I am living in his life. So, you cannot uh, live with God, you cannot walk with God, until, first of all, you embrace the fact that we are profoundly weak creatures. Okay, But when we realize that, we're ready for the second truth. Once we realize that the Christian life is about accepting the fact that I'm weak, we realize that also the Christian life is then about embracing God's blessing in our life, embracing God's blessing, and uh, you see that emphasis, emphasis on blessing in Joseph's the prayer for Joseph, verse 25. Listen, listen to just how this describes God and His open-handedness, how how generous He is. He's pouring out blessings by the God of your father, who will help you, by the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that. Uh, crouches beneath. Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. Uh, the blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. Um, the blessing of God is given to those who are weak. If you want to experience God's blessing in your life, you must embrace that you are. This is what Jesus says in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. The first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. The meek are the powerless. Blessed are the powerless, um, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. To hunger and thirst means you're empty and you're needy. God's blessing is on those who experience profound weakness. And um, we don't understand this in our culture at all. Because in our culture, the people that we admire... The people that we worship, the people that we give all our attention to are the people that are attractive, that are rich, that are competent, and uh, that have things to offer us. They have much to offer. And we we just we say, I want to be like that. I'm supposed to be like that. And the Bible, the kingdom of God, completely inverts that and says it's completely upside down. And... Um, And and, and what our culture is constantly telling us is that instead of embracing our weakness, we need to tell ourselves over and over, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm invincible. I can do this, I'm confident, I'm competent. And to tell ourselves that over and over again, and the Bible tells us to embrace our weakness so that we can experience the free gift, the blessing, and the grace of God. And um, in Christmas, God came to bless the weak. And I'll just tell you, you know, I think for most of us, we long to experience joy in our life. And some of us have experiences of pangs of joy, where there's, there are episodes, whether, whether it's just you have a really meaningful conversation with someone where you felt a bond with them, or a time of worship where you felt like God was really speaking to you. We all long to experience joy, and I want to tell you that the most profound experience of joy in the human life is when you feel utter weakness and you feel the open hand of God. You come to God completely empty-handed. You have nothing to offer him. And you find out that he's not repelled by you. He comes to you. He takes your prayers deadly seriously. And he listens to you. And his hands are open-handed. And he loves you. And he's a kind father. And that we're as helpless as Ruth getting baptized up here. We're as helpless as a little baby. And yet he comes, he holds us in his arms... He listens to our requests. He listens to our needs. and, and, And though we're fragile, he protects us. And though we're fallen, he forgives and washes us. And though we're finite, he grants us his wisdom and his guidance to be with us. And he walks with us. And he brings his infinite, almighty power into our life and walks with us. When you experience that, this is the deep joy of human life. This is what it is to know God. And Jacob at the, end of this, at the end of Genesis, Jacob has come to realize that. Jacob has had many experiences of weakness throughout his life. He's a, a flawed man. And as he's going through these blessings, and he's praying for all his children, and he's realizing, like, wow, God's going to build his kingdom through these people? I have doubts about this. Uh, the, and, and you know, if there's any time when you feel weakness, if you're a parent, parenting makes you feel weak almost more than anything else, and he's praying these blessings and he's saying, you know, I'm not sure these blessings are too good. <laughs> There's a lot of flaws in my children and in their descendants. And in the middle of his prayers, uh, in the middle of these blessings, he just utters up this prayer to God. You see that there in verse 18. You hear did you hear what he said? Just out of nowhere. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. I wait. I'm weak. I haven't, I haven't raised these children well. They're, they're descendants. They're not going to raise them well. And yet, I need your power to work in them. And notice the key word there. As he experiences his weakness and asks God for blessing, he says, I wait. I will wait for your salvation. I will be patient, and I trust in your goodness. And, um, and let me just say that for some of you who are feeling weakness in your life, frail, there are question marks. There are things you can't control. You, you can't engineer. You don't feel invincible. And you say, if I go and talk to God, I don't think it's going to do anything. Let me tell you, go and talk to him. He is the God of the universe, and he loves the weak. He's drawn to the weak. And I just want to close with a little a verse from uh, Daniel's brother-in-law. is a songwriter, and there's a, a song called The Lord Will Provide. It's, it's a hymn that he's uh, put a new tune to that I've been listening to often that in my own weakness, and needing to hear from God. And this is, what, this is one verse from the song. It says, No strength of our own, and no goodness we claim. Yet since we have known of the Savior's great name, we run to his strong tower, and for safety we hide. For the Lord is our power. The Lord will provide. Let's pray together. Our great Father in heaven, we come to you acknowledging our profound weakness, that we are fragile in a violent and cursed world. We are fallen and have selfishness and rebellion in our own hearts. And we are finite, we don't understand your ways, and we cannot fix the problems in our life. And so we come to you and we ask for your blessing. I pray for those who are here who are experiencing the weakness in their, in their bodies, in their flesh, in their lives um, acutely. And I pray that your spirit would turn them to you, that they would find your open, generous, compassionate hand. Meet them in their weakness and show them that you are present. We love you. We thank you that you became weak when you became a baby. You shared in our weakness. And uh, so we praise you for that. And we say that you are the only God that is worthy of our worship. In Christ's name, amen.